I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week, going from the midst of war in Israel to post-war Berlin, we take a look at Samuel Maus's award-winning festival hit Foxtrot and the Kira Knightley starring period drama The Aftermath, as well as looking at some of our favourite foreign language war films. I'm Sam Howlett, and the poor souls joining me down in the pod bunker this week are Kelly Powell, Hello. Ella Kemp, Hi. and Stephen Ryder. Hello. Hello. Uh, so starting with Foxtrot then, this is Samuel Maus's follow-up to the award-winning Lebanon grappling with the complexities of the Israel-Palestine conflict in this masterful balance of heightened drama and absurdist humour. An Israeli family, the Feldmans, are informed that their son has been killed whilst on duty. They are devastated, but then not everything is as it appears. From a searing and emotive opening through to a series of surreal moments at the front line of a political quagmire, Maus's film is quite unlike anything you'll have ever seen. So, Maus won the Golden Lion a few years back at the Venice Film Festival for Lebanon, uh, which is another war film, but it's set entirely in a tank. So, from Lebanon now to Foxtrot, we can see that Maus is interested in looking at war from a unique perspective. Both Lebanon and Foxtrot have their characters' views limited by their surroundings. Uh, While Lebanon's view of war is completely limited and very realistic, Foxtrot has a more creative approach to the view of war and plays around with the form to explore war, uh, but the characters are just as unable to see the full picture. And something I think very unique to this film is its structure, Kelly. Do you want to tell us about Foxtrot's uh, unique structure and what makes it so different? I read a review where it was sort of described as a triptych, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was quite a, quite a nice way of describing this film um, because it, it's three-act structure. It's not, it's not doesn't follow a traditional three-act structure um, where it sort of takes... The first act is, is from the father's perspective uh, after the family is told that their son has died in the line of duty. Um, and then that is like a very intimate uh portrayal of his grief in those moments Mm. um uh conflicted with the sort of um systemic uh way that the idf sort of treats someone who's fallen so there's like the idea oh the israeli defense force sorry um so it's sort of like they have procedures that they follow um and the the soldiers that are there to inform the family you know have like a sort of uh uh, script that they follow so Mm. it's like uh, is there anything we can do for you? You need to drink water. There's this like weird repetition of the soldier saying like you need to drink water to the father who's obviously in shock. And there's an hourly alarm on his yeah, phone. Yeah, they set an alarm clockwork. on his phone. Yeah, very like clockwork for the IDF. And, yeah, like um, there's a way to deal with grief that, yeah. that is simple and you know, structured. structured and yeah. that's the way you do it. And it's, and it's the father sort of reeling against that and sort of like trying to find his own way through that. Um and then the second act sort of which is the bulk I think of the film sort of takes place um 
at a checkpoint foxtrot where the son is stationed. Um, and we see his uh, last few days at, at the, because I think they move on after that. So it's his sort of last few days at the checkpoint. And this uh, act sort of follows a quite a surrealistic, weirdly comical mm. um, tone. The tone changes in every single act of this film. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's from the son's <coughs> perspective. Um, and it's him and three other soldiers at this checkpoint that is sort of desolate mm. in the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, apart from a few camels and like one or two cars of Palestinians having to be checked at the checkpoint, um, nothing much happens. Um, <laughs> and it's sort of their weird... It's almost like you see their, them as individuals in this sort of weird structure, the system, because it's the only point at which we sort of know the soldiers. Mm. And and there's like a couple of shots where you see uh, them on their beds in this bunker and, and they're quite individualized. Like the one guy's like a punk rocker and you see his uh, personality and you kind of get to know these soldiers' personalities. Well, it's, in- it's interesting that Sam used the word perspective in terms of, you know, we are getting, like you said, a, a, we're getting the individual and the system and those two things being pushed together. But the perspective of the film and the position of the camera is also wildly different than what you'd see in most mm. kind of yes. war films. Um, that overhead shot that he keeps coming back to. I was thinking I loved it at first and I thought, wow, this is, you know, he's overusing this a little bit. And then it became almost comical in its overuse that we were seeing only overhead mm. shots of people. And you start thinking, why? Why is the director doing this? Um, it's like and a it, weird distance. Yeah. technique as well yeah absolutely um which i think was a slight a, a slight concern for me in this film because i think like just at the point where you're sort of getting to know these people the the, the camera movements sort of pull you out of it and i may i think that maybe it's some it's a play on like i think empathy and and the system maybe just like how the minute you sort of get to know an individual um, it's also it explores how they exist within that structure. Mm. Well, there is always this very strange sense of humour that I found came across from the very first images you'd see from this film from the outside, like the promotional things. They use a very specific clip from this film where there's a soldier who doesn't actually have any other role in the film. It's this dancer who was cast just to do this this big movement piece who does this amazing dance at the checkpoint and it's not different at all to the way it seems and it doesn't really have any narrative significance as such like it's not a film about how much these soldiers love to dance or anything like that but there is this motif that obviously comes back in the name of the film and just in it's got such a deeper metaphorical mm. serious meaning and yet comes across in such a light-hearted and kind of strange comical way as mm. well it's a tone switch i think that scene is that you get i if i remember it goes from um just a few scenes before you see uh the 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 father who's played by leo ashkenazi who is um i think stunning in this film mm. he he there's there's one particular moment just a few scenes before the the dance scene which is incredible where he's sat in the bathroom and you go from one of those overhead shots to a very kind of intimate close-up of him and it's a good minute maybe even a minute and a half of just his eyes kind of darting back and forth and him trying to figure out what to do with the knowledge that his son has been killed and you aren't uh you aren't taken away from this scene um at any point um you have to watch him try and figure it out and he cannot do it and it's a stunning stunning performance i think from him and he carries the first 30 mm. minutes of this film in a way that like do we really want to sit here and watch like this this father 
kind of grieve his son for this long but the film forces you to do that and then all of a sudden we're switched into this this dance scene mm. and it just kind of pops you see the camel coming coming through the checkpoint and then you see the dance scene and it's um yeah it's this sudden change of tone and you really don't know what to do with it um but it certainly kind of wakes you up from mm. that kind of slumber and that kind of wallowing in the grief mm. i think as well this film doesn't rely on sort of typical war imagery too much and you know you've, you've spoken about a couple of things here and there that the camera angles are so unique in this film and to the point where they're kind of pulling you out of it as you said um and that's something really interesting to do with the war film and also this film relies a lot on visual metaphor so you mentioned the dance there which is kind of the lead image of the film um do you want to talk a bit about what you think the dance means that the dance has this such a prominent scene in the film and is even spoken about a few times about what the foxtrot dance is and what that means to the characters um yeah so there's a point at the end of the film when it kind of so it comes back to the third act which again has such a different tone to the first two and, and it's from the mother's perspective. Right. Yeah. And so the mother, she's sitting at the kitchen table and she was is having a conversation with her husband. And then he gets up and starts to talk about the foxtrot dance again, which by this point in the film, we've been introduced to it from a lot of different angles. But I think the script is so tight that it still seems fresh. And then when he starts to just get up and move and explain it I still found it really satisfying and while he's dancing the father says no matter where you go you end up at the same starting point as he's moving round and round and I I love it because I think that's one of the only lines in the script that I remember being really metaphorical and kind of seeming to be the kind of thing that you take notes of like I just did Mm. to (laughs) then explain it afterwards But yeah, and that whole idea of a cycle just reflects like the narrative, the dance, yeah. their lives, grief, war, like all of it. Yeah, and it's allegorical, right? So the whole thing, you can, it kind of does sort of follow like a parable sort of structure interwoven into like other themes that, you know, are prevalent in Israeli society. I mean, this is a society that has been at war since its inception. Mm-hmm. Um, and these, these men and women are, you know, there's, um, what do you call it? The conscription. There's like a, they, they drafted into the army straight after school and you have to go. And so every other, every, every person in Israeli society has been in the IDF and then, and many of them do see war. Um, and there's this weird undertone of like everybody's traumatized this is like a traumatized society in a way and in a society like that you can't really move on (laughs) it's kind of is cyclical cyclical like you know it's kind of you trapped in this weird circle of like and and in that it's like it's difficult for empathy to flourish for artistic merit to flourish uh for masculinity to develop healthily um so i think there's a a lot of that sort of interwoven into the plot and the narrative of this film um, one final thing I wanted to say about the cyclical element of the film, the soundtrack which is used and the main song in particular is a song called Spiegel in Spiegel, which is used in so many different films and adverts and everything and it's got this really recognisable hook and I think often when it comes back in in other films I found myself thinking, okay, this this song is here again, this means it's sad, this is like the moment where everyone cries. But I think it's such a bold move that this film uses this song again and again and again it's the song is a loop in itself and but it's used as a recurring 
theme, like some kind of motif as if it was written for the film, which, you know, people do more and more. Like, you know, Justin Ho says it all the time. It sounds great. But to use something that's already so recognisable and yet to put it into this context in this way, I think it worked so well. I will say that, like, there's, there's, it's a very sophisticated film and there's a lot of layered kind of elements to it. But even though it sounds like what we're talking about, we're kind of digging through this stuff, I think it's actually a really um, easy film to watch in a lot of ways too. It draws you in and it's got, it does this balancing act of having this very intense kind of dour situation yet somehow making it accessible and entertaining and and that is as an audience member you're kind of left wondering how to feel about the whole situation because when these moments of comedy do pop up and when these moments of pure entertainment do pop up it, it does take you aback um, and I think that's one of the real strengths that Foxtrot's mm, yeah. got going for it. I think uh, ultimately I think that there are many like entry points into this film um, and so I think that there's something for everyone uh, to to get out of it, there's, uh, however you see it, um, and I think that it's just a very unique take on this theme, um, and especially an Israeli film dealing, you know, uh, f- coming from the region. I think it's it's unique um, and it's uh, interesting, and he uses camera angles in mm-hmm. in weird ways, and um, and I think it's as Stephen said, you know, simultaneously dealing with, like, heavy topic matter, but it is also light. Yeah. Um, It's a balancing act. It's a balancing act, yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, definitely worth a watch. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So that's Foxtrot then that is out uh, this Friday, March the 1st, exclusively in cinemas and on Cousin Home Cinema. Uh, war films then never seem to go out of fashion, but foreign language war films are less jingoistic and more difficult than their UK and US counterparts. So we asked Twitter what are some of the best foreign language war films they could think of. Uh, at Tony Elliston uh, brought up uh, Istian Zabo's Mephisto, uh, Louis Malle's Au Revoir Les Enfants, Victoria, Victoria de Sica's The Garden of the Finzi Contini's, uh, The Battle of Algiers, Shoah, and Come and See, which he says is probably the best of the lot. That's a stunning one. At Evil Donald 13 uh, has suggested 20 Days Without War, Grave of the Fireflies, and The Front Line. And formerly of the Curzon podcast, Irena Musumeci on Twitter has suggested that the Russians do it better. Come and see and Ivan's childhood. Stephen, that's one of your picks, isn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, it plus uh, Bondicharks, War and Peace, of course. Yeah, I think that um, the, the idea that the Russians do it better is uh, kind of 
uh, morbid in a way because uh, <laughs> obviously they they went through a very specific kind of uh, trauma in the war. Um, they lost more people than anybody else in in World War Two. Um, but what I think the Russians do is they 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 portray an elegant side of war that draws you in before reminding you of the horrors of it. And I think the reason I picked Ivan's childhood is because I know a lot of kind of, you know, this was my case when I was young as a kind of someone who was getting interested in film. Um, uh, Tarkovsky became a bit of a mountain to climb. You've got these kind of three hour epics of Stalker and Solaris that are very um, kind of esoteric and, and difficult to figure out. But anyone looking for an entry point into Tarkovsky's career could sit down and watch Ivan's Childhood and love it. It's an accessible film. It still deals with all those kind of classic Tarkovsky topics of memory and dreams and kind of figuring out where you stand on the planet mm. earth and in civilization but it's a very simple tale of a young boy kind of navigating his way through war um both mentally and kind of both figuratively and physically so it's it's a fascinating incredible beautiful film it's yeah well worth a watch that came up a few times on twitter as did come and see uh downfall starring the late bruno gans that came up a few times son of saul das boot no man's land and what's with bashir mm. kelly yeah so i uh i love this film uh, and like much like Foxtrot, it is a, a very unique film from the from the region uh, dealing with the uh, Lebanon War. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very unique take coming from the experiences of director Ari Folman, um, who narrates his story, uh, which is a story of uh, also trauma um, and his sort of memory loss of his time as a soldier uh, in Lebanon, um, and a, um, and it's just exquisitely done I think when I first saw it I was just like whoa this I've never seen the documentary take this form before um and the animation was so uh like vivid um it's a living comic it's book a, really, yeah right? yeah it's it's basically yeah it's it's, it's a it's a moving graphic novel mm. which was just so moving um and interesting uh and I just remember being enamored with it mm. I think it's a spectacular film, and like Foxtrot, it's playing around with the form. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, as I said, you, you, UK and US war films, we tend to kind of know what we're going to get from them. They can be very paint by numbers, but with stuff like Foxtrot and also yeah. Bashir, we're getting you know filmmaking techniques in exactly. different ways to explore things that we think well, we yeah. know. The fact that war is a genre of itself tells you yeah. how important that fit the topic of war is to society and i think it's so important as you know cinema viewers that we get to experience different viewpoints of of war because if we look at it from just a uk us perspective then we're getting almost a propagandist view of of how (laughs) we've perceived war in the past and you know history is written by the victors and all of that kind of stuff so yeah and to go on the other side of all of the oceans um the film that i'm going for is the wind rises um Mm -hmm. which is Hayao Miyazaki's most recent film. Um, I tend to find with war films that I feel a bit isolated when watching them and I don't really... It's not my favourite genre. Um, But I really like this film because it takes a very human approach. And I was wondering if it could class as a war film. So it focuses in on um, a young engineer called Jiro Horikoshi, who is based on a a real person, who... um, was one of the engineers who made the Zero fighter plane, which the uh, which Japan used in the Second World War. Um, and I really I love this film. It's my favorite Miyazaki film because I think it's a lot more grounded and a lot more human than his other films. There are still lots of magical elements mm. and lots of dreams to it, but it is fueled by this um, historical grounding. But what I find really interesting about the film is 
more the kind of context around it and the way that Miyazaki kind of mirrors Jiro and the the backlash and controversy that surrounded the film when it came out because lots of critics uh not necessarily film critics but just critics of Miyazaki mm. um in Japan and elsewhere were calling him like a traitor and and just saying that it was insane that he was making this film um like that he was condoning the war mm. and things like that and he was saying they they were saying that he how could he do this to 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 endorse Japan's past which is insane when you consider how you know how how much of a pacifist Miyazaki has mm. always been and he's been so very vocally um it's this this relationship that I think governments have with the films that are made oh, about this war. This one, Foxtrot, also. Yeah, it's, it's something that you see a lot in foreign language war films. <laughs> yeah. Is that you see so mm. much criticism. Mm. Tarkovsky was criticised for Ivan's childhood too. Um, I remember there was controversy about Foreman's experiences in the war as well and how much they could be considered legitimate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the same goes for Wind Rises too. So when a director makes a war film, he's although it's a topic that we like to explore a lot, there's always controversy surrounding it. Yeah. But I find I find it quite interesting with the case of Jiro and Miyazaki because they Miyazaki always quotes back this same quote that Jiro said and he says in the film about the zero he says all I wanted to do was make something beautiful mm. which which I love and then that's why I wondered whether it was about war because he puts a focus on this young man who just has this dream of making something beautiful and you know seeing an airplane fly in the sky and then he also says that um the zero represented one of the few things that we japanese could be proud of mm. um so i i really love that kind of conflict that mm. there's in that film that reflects the the nation who kind of coming to terms with their past and responsibility in the war and miyazaki as well as his responsibility as an auteur who passed his influence in within war films he's always said that children should go outside and not watch films <laughs> he says like at the helm of the biggest yeah. studio in japan um, <laughs> i think what these war f- films do better than u.s and uk war films is that uh the sort of the fighting is very much in the background yeah um none of the films we've suggested really have sensationalized fighting scenes as their big centerpieces but also i think Hacksaw ridge (laughs) exactly i'm talking about Hacksaw ridge yeah which kind of has a it's lead it's about a you know it's about a character it's about a pacifist it's a character study but the fighting is the main character in that film that film's all about how well you can make a shootout yeah yeah exactly well what i was going to say about foreign films is that i think they do such a good job of exploring exploring war as like how it affects life afterwards mm. so like i was gonna say another a few more honorable mentions wait, for me. are you talking about the aftermath wait wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> just told that's you coming, that's Hold a coming. That. um was uh uh hiroshima monomore uh, yeah which yeah. i was is an, also like an, an incredible film that explores war in a very different way um and uh, another one that is more on in the cold war era is uh the lives of others mm. um and just like how war sort of affects mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. and our very own Cold War as well that we spoke about a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, the coldest of wars. The coldest of wars, the warmest of hearts. Correct. Uh, the film that came to mind for me is a film called Germany Year Zero, which is an early Italian neorealism film by Roberto Rossellini, father of Isabella. Uh, it's about a family in Berlin just after the end of World War Two who struggle to adjust to the post-war environment, and there's all these tensions between 
you know, the newly occupying allies, uh, the former soldiers, whether they were just people on the ground or whether they were high-ranking Nazis. Um, but what the film's mostly interested in, obviously it's a neorealist film, it's interested in the ordinary people who are affected by all of this and who don't get their own story in war films. And this film came came up very close to the end of World War Two, so it was quite close to the bone. Um, and, you know, it's, it's Italian neorealism, so it's pretty downbeat, but I think it's a really interesting look at this part of history, which leads nicely to our next new release this week, which is also set in post-war Berlin, and that is James Kent's The Aftermath. Ella, tell us about The Aftermath. I would love to. So The Aftermath focuses on a young woman called Rachel Morgan, played by Kira Knightley. She arrives in the ruins of Hamburg in the bitter winter, to be reunited with her husband, Lewis, who's played by Jason Clark. So he's a British colonel who's charged with rebuilding the shattered city. But as they both set off together for their new home, Rachel is stunned as she discovered that Lewis is... He has made an unexpected decision. He has decided that they will be sharing the grand house with its previous owners, a German widower, Alexander Skarsgård, and his troubled teenage daughter. In this charged atmosphere, we then have an emitting grief that give way to passion and betrayal. You've been avoiding me. Have I? I don't think so. I was going to apologize. For what? I was going to, but I won't. Stephen, what yeah, do you think I, of the aftermath? The aftermath is a really interesting film. I was reading that it was um, it was adapted. It was it was written as a screenplay, and then the 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 screenwriter was it was suggested that he make it into a novel and then uh, adapt that for the screen, which is a really roundabout yeah. way to go about making a film. But it definitely shows in this film it's got a very novelistic approach. Um, it's it's very, like Ella mentioned, I think charged is one of the right words to use. It's got a kind of a real kind of sexual energy to it that you don't see in a lot of war films. Um, but uh, there's a really amazing juxtaposition between uh, the bombed out city that uh, we are, we're kind of witnessing Jason Clark's character try to rebuild and try to rebuild the society in the very elegant, pristine home that they're sharing with Alexander Skarsgård's character. Um, and yeah, I think I think the aftermath is a is if you saw kind of Colette earlier this year, you know what Keira Knightley's going to bring to a film. You know that kind of like um, the elegance and the um, the kind of abundance of imagery that you see in these kind of films and metaphor. Um, it's it's a it's a very lovely film that kind of people will definitely be drawn to if they if they're interested in kind of war dramas, um, especially period war dramas. I think the nice thing is that if you like on paper the things that this film is offering, you will like them in practice. So mm, I think it's 100%. it's definitely reliable and it's not unpredictable in a way that could be shocking or disturbing which you can find with war films i i wouldn't say that the aftermath is particularly traumatic mm. um it's as you say it's elegant and there's this whole you know seductive element mm. to it that makes it all it's it's, it's very luxurious it's a very it's luxurious, very luxurious. like everyone is very attractive and their and their characters are attractive and they're attracted to each other mm -hmm. and in a way like it's a nice distraction from war like yeah. war, war is there well that's but... what Kira Knightley's character is trying to do in this film she's mm. experienced a trauma during the war and she's trying to kind of pull herself out of it by by having an affair 
with this with this german man that she's uh, sharing a house with and it's about you know the lengths we go to to escape the past and to escape trauma and that's why we have these two you know these two things the bombed out city in the house because she's pulled between these two things and her past and her future and her present and um you know the, the what i did like about the film is that the ending has a real kind of comment to make on what we should do with our grief um so it's kind of worth seeing i think just to, to see where it goes with that and poor 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 jason clark once again playing a jilted husband yeah that's his speciality <laughs> yeah someone's absolutely. gotta do it yeah <laughs> yeah it was mudbound he kind of was and serenity that comes out this week as well mm-hmm. and now uh, this one and now this one yeah um so this film kind of i don't know what are the touch points for you guys with this like atonement seems like a good comparison this kind of romance against the backdrop of a war yeah absolutely i think atonement's a really good example yeah. um not just because it's Kira knightley again no not just because it's Kira knightley but we all know she's drawn to these kind of films mm. these kind of films with very very heightened emotional stakes um that she can kind of use and play off um and she's very good at that she's it's, yeah. it's what Kira does um but uh yeah i i think that it's it, it it goes for a kind of prestige um atmosphere and it ends up being in a weird way a bit too dark for that i think maybe a bit too kind of um a bit too erotic a bit too violent um and it ends up kind of going to some dark places in the film and whilst it might some people might consider it predictable um i think it's still hard hitting in places as well mm. and yeah i think not not necessarily so much in the subject matter but just in the overall look and style of the film I don't think it's too far from Carol. Like, the costumes are beautiful. Mm. Everyone's hair is very great and everyone's, you know, very upset a lot of the time. And, <laughs> and that's okay. And you've got, you've, you know, you've got to deal with that, whether you're within the war or any other setting. Um, so it's a real, real visual treat. It's fascinating double bill with Foxtrot because it is, again, a film that deals with, with grief between two parents and it's a film that has a dance scene in it uh, towards the end that's kind of very critical. How do the dance so- scenes compare? Very different motivations. Very different. Yeah, very different. <laughs> this moment is not about movement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is uh, the aftermath, which is also out today, March the 1st. Uh, so you can do a double bill. You can do uh, the aftermath in cinemas and Foxtrot on uh, Cousin Home Cinema. Also on Cousin Home Cinema, uh, we do have a collection of uh, some of the films that have won Best Foreign Language Film of the Oscars in the past few years. So The Salesman and Son of Saul, which is another unique take on a war film and some of the films that didn't quite uh, get the awards this year so a shock for glenn close not winning the wife but if you want to check out that performance you can uh, rbg and cold war also still available thank you to everyone who gave us a shout out on twitter for those foreign language war films and if you've got any thoughts on foxtrot or the aftermath do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com for next week's show or tweet us at Curzon Cinemas. Uh, you can subscribe, leave a review or a comment. We are available every week on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast needs. Next week, Kelly, you're going to be speaking to Maggie Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. who's going to be telling us all about her latest from The Kindergarten Teacher. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be discussing the latest from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain Marvel. Uh, you can follow me at samhowlett underscore one. You can follow Kelly on Twitter at... KS underscore Powell. You can follow Ella at... EFE Kemp. Stephen, you're yeah, you still know, averse yeah. to Twitter. But I, I got a Letterbox Pro account, which means, Did you? Yeah, which, which meant I could change my name. Whoa. So it's not silly anymore. Now you can just find me at Stephen Ryder with two R's at the end. <laughs> is, that, is that silly as well? <laughs> I mean, why? Yeah. Just do what I do. My name, my surname, one. <laughs> Straight down the middle, no messing about. Just find me on there. 
<laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.